Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, there's not a, a lot of Sundays that I, I come out of my office over here and walk into the sanctuary and think, oh boy, I don't know if this is going to work. But today was one of those days, and for those of you out in the concourse a little bit earlier wondering if the first service was ever going to end, you know you're in for a little bit of a a ride today, so I won't waste time. We're going to get started here. We uh, This is our fifth Sunday looking at heaven and hell. We've looked at little different topics each time. We still have two more to go, but I thought I would, I thought this would be a good place to stop and kind of collect The questions, the thoughts, the ideas that are rolling around out there. So last week, I I asked you to to turn in questions. Uh, I said, you can turn them in here. You can email to me. And I said, you know, please, if you would, I want all questions in by Monday. I got about half of them after Wednesday. Thank you very much for that. Uh, But the the questions came in. We had uh, about a 100 people. Uh, No, 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 no. We, we had about 40 people turn in 100 questions. And uh, I'm getting ready to answer all 100, so now you know why. No, it, it's not 100 different questions. Obviously, a lot of the questions overlap, and there, there's some places where I thought, okay, these 12 questions are asking this, and I'll kind of state that one question. So that that's where we're going today. You know, folks, as as we answer these we we ask them because they're important to us. And in many cases, it's not an academic interest. There's something about our heart that's in a little bit of this question. There's something about our our heart that that we're curious, concerned about the answer. So when we hear these answers, we need to know, hey, some of them we're going to hear and we're going to think, that, that's what I thought, or that's going to enlighten you, or it's going to be interesting, or you're going you're to say, amen, that's, that's perfect. But, but there may be a couple of questions where you hear an answer and think, ah, that's, that's not what I thought. Or you may even hear, I don't, I don't think I like that. I don't know if I, I, I agree with that. So knowing that a lot of these questions are asked with some emotion and something in us kind of tied into it, knowing that we've got some investment in these answers, let's kind of go into it reminding ourselves of this. Folks, our, our eternal experience with God, with eternity, with heaven with the answers to these questions, is going to be the fullness of joy. Okay? Now, I'm not saying you're going to feel the fullness of joy in about 15 minutes. No, I'm not saying that'll be our experience with an answer today. I'm saying as we see how the answer actually gets executed, actually gets played out, fullness of joy is going to be your experience with that answer. Secondly, our eternal experience with God and heaven and the answers to our questions is going to lead us to praise God. Now, I could just stop right there. We're, we're going, when we see it, we're going to praise God. But you're actually going to praise God for how just. Lord, I can't imagine it could have been any more perfect, any better, any more right and fair For everyone, everything involved. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments. Okay, that's saying when I see how God decided, how God directed, how God judged, I'm going to go, that was amazing. Absolutely true. Absolutely just. That's going to be our experience with our, with these answers. And then lastly, uh, Ephesians 2 7 here, so that in the coming ages, he might show coming ages, right? That's what out in, what's out in front of us. We've got questions about that. In those coming ages, he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward those of us in Christ Jesus. That word for kindness there, there's more than one word. That particular word from, for kindness, if, if I was showing that, I'm doing everything in my power to keep you from discomfort. So in a place where I would think today that that answer is going to cause discomfort, disagreement, boy, folks, that's the place 
where God's immeasurable kindness is going to wrap you and hold you. That's going to be our experience with all of these questions and answers. That's, that's what we trust in as we hear these. So having said that, let's, let's uh, jump in. So the most asked question, about, about a quarter of you asked this question. More than a quarter of the questions were, how can I be happy, eternally happy, when somebody I know, somebody I love, is in hell? I mean, how do I, I know grief is not in heaven, I know tears are not in heaven, how can that be the case when somebody is in hell? Some questions that, kind, you know, that was the question, it was asked with how do we deal with that, will we know that they're not there, that they're not in heaven? You know, as a matter of fact, someone asked, you know, could they just be in another, can I just assume they're in another part of heaven and I haven't run into them yet? You could maybe assume that for the first year, all eternity, mm, <laughs> probably hard. You know, somebody said, hey, will my, will I, my memory just be erased? You, you know, I, I, won't, I won't grieve that because I don't know uh, that they're there. Will we be able to see them in hell? Now, on that question, let me say this. I should have said it a moment ago. Uh, a lot of questions about is there any kind of, for lack of a better word, travel back and forth between heaven and hell. Can you go back and forth? Can you see? Can somebody, can they see us up in heaven? Can we see them in hell? Any, any conversing? Uh, how do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? How do I know? How can I know that somebody else is going to heaven? All that group of questions I already had planned to answer the next two Sundays. So we are going to get to those if that was your set of questions. But I did put it with this. Will I be able to, to see them there? Now, I'm going to talk this morning a lot about memory. Because we have a number of questions about our, our memory of this life then going into the next life. That would seem to make sense. If I'm not going to grieve, God, hey God, could you just zap their memory? I, I just can't imagine that. First of all, there's... There's no verse that says anything like that, that we get some kind of memory scrub. I mean, you think about this. If I don't have my memory, then I'm not me. And if you don't have your memory, then not only am I not me to me, I'm not me to you. So then who are any of us if we don't have our memory? What, what are, what's the reward? What are we there celebrating? I, I, don't, I don't think any, it makes this entire life meaningless, doesn't it? If we all get there and everything's gone, then it just makes this life meaningless. So I don't think it's kind of, could God just scrub my memory of that person? I mean, yeah, I can't say he can't. Of course he could do that. But I, I don't see God resolving things, fixing things anywhere, any kind of issue by, by doing a memory scrub. So I, I don't think that's it. Will we see them? I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week, but now we're talking eternally, heaven and hell. Will we see them? I don't think so. First of all, if they saw us, that would almost be like taunting, wouldn't it? That would be awful. That would just make their suffering worse. And I think for us to see them just would rip the wound off. I, I, I mean, that, that's just all the more the grief. So I, I don't think that would be the case. So how does God deal with this? Okay, so I thought my first question, the question that the most people asked, I need to come out strong, so here's the answer. I, I don't know. I, 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 I do not have a clue. It doesn't make sense. A lot of things about heaven don't make sense if I'm still engaged, still seeing, still remembering somebody that I love. Here's what I know, and it goes back to these verses we just looked at. I know God is kind. I know God is good. I know God is peace. I'm not saying God's peaceful. I'm not saying God's a giver of peace. I'm saying he is peace. To in any way be in his presence, to in any way engage with him is to experience peace. Okay, so I, I'm going to have to just wait and get there and see how that is handled. I find that confusing. Um, one person asked, by the way, handful of questions. I go, oh, okay, I know what sermon you weren't at. 
<laughs> because you asked a lot of questions I've already answered. Um, but, but, but somebody asked, and you can see that now this, the, this question comes from a spirit of help my grief. Give me some idea that the suffering is over. So they ask the question, could it possibly be they'll be annihilated? And if you go back to my third, third sermon on hell, we deal with annihilation. That would work. I, okay, whew, it's over for them. At least I can rest in that. The idea of annihilation is nowhere taught in Scripture, not to mention almost every time you see the word hell or suffering or punishment, the word forever is attached to it. I mean, you've got a lot of verses you've got to get rid of to to all of a sudden just decide we're going to annihilate people. Do you know why hell is forever? Do you know why heaven is forever? Because you are forever. The human soul is not annihilated. We are created in the image of God. And once we are created, now God is eternal. It's tricky to apply the word eternal to us because eternal doesn't just mean forever forwards. It means forever backwards. God's eternal no matter what direction you're going. You and I are created. We have a beginning point. But from that point, we are forever So you are going to be forever. What we've been studying the last five weeks and two more to go is where that will be. So, uh, you know, I'm going to ask this several times. Can you rest in who you know God to be? Hey, this is a big one. I don't see an answer. You haven't given us any insight to that. Uh, So I'm just going to have to rest that I'm going to actually look at you one day and say, I praise you for how fairly and perfectly you handled that. I praise you for your peace. Second, most asked question, how can I be eternally happy without my spouse? Now, oddly enough, the next card in the deck said, how can I be eternally happy with my spouse? So I, I hope, I hope that wasn't from the same home. I'm joking. Okay, no, that did not really happen. But you know, hey, that seems pretty practical. How can, how can I be happy if, if my spouse is not a part of that? You know, this is a tricky question to deal with. You ready for this? Because of his clarity. I'd love to say, well, we're not sure what he meant here, or there's this interpretive issue, and some people say, and other, Folks, it, Jesus says it so clearly and so simply, there's just nowhere to go with it except Jesus said, you're not going into heaven with your marriage and you're not getting married while you're there. there what do you do with that? There's just not a lot to do with it other than we don't have that marriage in, in heaven. Now, the actual te- uh, teaching comes from Luke chapter 20, verse 34 to 36. A group of of Sadducees, this is some religious leaders, come to Jesus and they're asking him a question. And it's a hypothetical. It's not real, but actually it's quite real. But a hypothetical question. So this, this lady marries this guy and he dies. And we're working in a Jewish culture here. So then she then marries her brother. And he dies. And she marries the next brother. And she is widowed six times and then marries the seventh brother. Now, I'll be honest with you, if I'm the seventh brother, I'm running for my life. <laughs> Holy cow, you marry her, you better have your life insurance ready. Uh, you know, so now again, not a real situation, but here's the question. Hey, Jesus. And remember, they don't like Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to make him look foolish. And, and so they say, hey, Jesus. Who's she going to be married to in heaven? Now, you and I ask this question, like, I can't be happy without my spouse. But, you know, we don't stop and think the practical reality of this. Not a few of us have had more than one spouse. Whether that's because of, of death or whether it's because of divorce, Quite a few people have had more than one spouse. So why the question is quite hypothetical, boy, there's a real practical issue here. And would you believe the reality of that practicality has nothing to do with Jesus' answer? He just very simply says, in heaven, you're going to be like the angels. No, that does not mean we become an angel. 
what he's saying is you're not going to reproduce. Okay? The same number, the, the number of angels there are today is exactly the same number of angels there were when God created angels. They don't reproduce. When we get to heaven on day one, if we take a census, that number will be exactly the same 10,000 times, 10,000 years later. We're, we're not going to reproduce. And you say, well, that's not the only purpose of marriage. No, it's not. But it is a dominant purpose of marriage that sadly, I'm not sure we're acknowledging much anymore, even in the church. That is a purpose of marriage, and it's a purpose that does not carry forward to eternity. So God says, you're not going to be married. I, I, you know, I'd love to discuss that more and think about what he could have meant. Oh, it, 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 it doesn't say that. Now, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. So often when I've been, I've heard this question or when we were looking at it, it's almost the assumption that if I'm not married to my spouse anymore, then I probably won't even know her. But that's not what Jesus said. I mean, folks, not, one day I'm going to be walking down the streets of gold and I'm going to see Karen and go, you look so familiar. There's something about you. No, that Jesus, Jesus said you're not going to be married. He didn't say you're not going to like each other anymore. You're not going to have anything to do with each other. No, I have, I have celebrated a lot of life with one person on this planet. I've celebrated a lot of birthdays with this one person on the planet. And today's Karen's birthday. She's, yep, yep. We're celebrating how many times she's been 27. So, uh, you know, folks, the same joy I have in her now, I think I can only anticipate it will be that joy multiplied many times over in heaven. Saying I'm not married to her doesn't mean we don't joy in each other still. And, of course, that would be the same with children, with parents, and, and, and with friends. So understand that because Jesus said you're not married, that doesn't mean it's over. That, that doesn't mean you don't know each other, don't like each other, anything like that. We, we will, I think, share much of our life in eternity just as we have here in this life. Will we be ourselves? Now, this was a question, I phrased it, that kind of encapsulates about 12 questions. Uh, do I have my name? Do I have my relationships? Do I have my memories? Am I recognizable to others who knew me? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um, again, if you answer no to any of those things, then you're not you anymore. And, and if you're not you, then, then who's being rewarded? And if I receive the reward of heaven, what does that reward mean to me if, if I'm not me in, in anymore? And, and so that, that just doesn't make any sense. But that's just thinking. Now let's see, can I go to scripture and kind of find any kind of guidance on this? We have three people in scripture, and I'm not counting Jesus. We have three people in scripture that we see after they've died. Okay? Now, this is not a proof for ghosts. It's not a proof for people coming back to us in our life now. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to comment on whatever may experience you may have had and say it's right or wrong. That, that's between you and the Lord. I do know that happened three times in 1,500 years of biblical history. So clearly, God is not using appearances of people who've gone on to the afterlife as a way of doing things. That, that should be seen as extremely rare and even miraculous, the supernatural. Having said that, we do see a couple of times. We see Samuel come back to Saul. We see Moses and Elijah. Elijah's a little tricky because Elijah didn't die. But he did go to the afterlife. Moses and Elijah, we see with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when we see them, do you know what we see? Their name, their face, their history, their personality is entirely intact. They are 
in the afterlife who they were in this life and recognizable as that to anybody who sees them. A story we're going to look at next week is a story. It's not necessarily true. It's a parable. But Jesus tells no parables that don't relate with reality. And in that, there are people in the afterlife, there are recognizable names, faces, they even talk about their history, they even talk about their life in this life. So yes, that would be, would be, would be something biblical I would be drawing from to say, all of that is intact. Now, we get a future body. We, we get a future body and, and that, that, that hasn't happened yet. So what body are they in? I would say they're in some kind of temporary body. They're in some kind of intermediate body. Neither of those words or ideas is found in Scripture. But yet we see these people. So it appears that when we we die, we get some kind of um, perfect body. Uh, 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 I mean, a a temporary body. You know, to me, the greatest evidence that I'm going to be me, look like me, and recognizable to everybody, and have my history is Jesus. I'm created in the image of Jesus. Jesus was resurrected into his perfect, eternal, glorified body. And when the disciples saw him, they didn't look at him and go, wow, in eternity we have three arms. Wow, in eternity you don't look anything like you did. No, folks, those interactions are teaching us something. They knew Jesus for who Jesus was and and what he was. Very interesting question. I'm not sure I'd thought about this as practical as it is. But if I'm going to heaven with all my life and memories and relationships, then what will it be like when I see my enemies? I know right now you're thinking, I was talking about all my enemies are going straight to hell. I was telling one of them the other day, you can go, well, never mind. (laughs) I mean, you know, I say that jokingly, do we not naturally think, well, I'm not going to have to deal with them in in heaven. You know, folks, uh, probably not all of them. Some of your enemies are going to be in heaven. Some of them, gosh, this is hard, as a believer, actually hurt you like that. And you as a believer have actually hurt some people. Some of them, maybe their offense, their crime against you was as an unbeliever and unbeknownst to you, days later, years later, they, they came to Christ and now there we are walking down the streets of gold together. I didn't want to walk down any street with you. Why now for eternity in, in heaven? You know, In this life, you and I have placed our faith and trust in the love and forgiveness of Jesus, haven't we? But we do not embrace that love and forgiveness fully. We we embrace it very imperfectly. And that's why we struggle with our own guilt. Because I don't really trust sometimes that God can love me and forgive me. And because we do not embrace, because we do not receive perfectly God's love and forgiveness, we don't give that love and forgiveness perfectly. Jesus connects the two. Did you know that? He says the reason you can't forgive them is because you don't trust that you've really been loved and forgiven. That, that's actually something we need to measure in our lives But here's the beauty and the joy of heaven. It's not that God's going to scrub my memory of the enemies. It's that in heaven, I will finally fully embrace God's love and forgiveness. And because I fully embrace it, I will fully share it. My enemies will be a great place where I see the dynamic work of God come to fullness in my life. And I will enjoy that. I I will worship him for that. So thank you for that question. That's the first time I've thought through through that. Okay, now y'all know this is a pet peeve of mine. Do we become angels? No. Next question. Um, You know what's interesting? And I've answered this question a lot, but I've never had this thought when I answered this question. It is amazing How universal across culture the idea 
that we become angels is, when not only is that not found anywhere in Scripture, it's never even been a part of any denomination, orthodoxy, tradition, church, whatever you want to call it. There's never been any teaching that we're becoming angels. How did this idea sweep through all of us? You know, I, I, angels seem cool, right? They got wings and everything. I mean, how awesome is that? I don't know. We, we know they're up there. And so we just imagine, you know, when somebody dies, they graduate and they, they become an angel. And I think somewhere we just, we end up at funerals. Which, folks, honestly, when we're grieving at a funeral... We throw the Bible and theology right out the window. We, we really do. Things you believe, things you could teach others about, and boy, all of a sudden you're looking at that casket and just theology goes right out the window. And I, th- I literally, I think we were sitting at a funeral one day and somebody said, well, they're an angel now. And, and you know what? I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And you know what I do when I hear that? I just stand there and... Do you correct people when they're crying? I, I, I don't ever want to do that. I tried to correct Karen once when she was crying. <laughs> Just got to do that one time. No, man, when somebody's hurting... When somebody's grieving, that's just not the place where, well, if you'll turn to me with me. No, we don't. And so guess what happens? They're standing there and they say this person's becoming an angel and I'm standing there. They're a pastor, the smartest person on the planet that they know. I know that's kind of the view y'all have of me. And, uh, and I didn't correct them. And so guess what? We just keep repeating. How did that, how did that spread like it did when nowhere at any time has that been the teaching of, of, of the church? And, and you know what, folks? That's okay. Don't, don't go, oh, I really wanted to be an angel. You, you know what you are? You are created in the image of God. And in your life on this earth, you, me, we have, we have lived out that image so imperfectly. And in heaven for all eternity, I will finally and fully live and express the image of God in me. That will be the joy. Not, not becoming a whole nother kind of being, being the image that God created me to be. That, that is the reward. Okay, a lot of questions about animals. We are animal-loving people. Uh, will animals be in heaven? Yes, Absolutely. And my reason for saying that is what's called the law of continuity. We're going to find a lot of things about heaven if we go to Genesis 1 through 3. What's in Genesis 1 through 3? God creating heaven. What, what do we see in Genesis 1 through 3? The rocks, the trees, the skies, the seas, and, and animals. So in the law of continuity, unless we are told differently, and we are told differently about something, aren't we? We're told something differently about marriage. You know, there's where God breaks in and says, hey, you saw this here, so let me correct your thinking. It won't be here. See, that's God breaking into the law of continuity and changing our thinking. But everything else, unless God breaks in and changes it, we can assume, hey, if it was here, then it'll be there. I would, I, I would think it would be a harder argument to say there will be no animals in heaven. Now, let's get to the real issue, because we ain't talking about just any old animal, are we? No, we're talking about Scruffy. Talking about my case, we're talking about Buddy, we're talking about Winnie, we're talking about Pepper. I've had some interesting dogs in my life. Buddy was a, a Sheltie, a Shetland Sheepdog, the finest dog ever created. He's an amazing dog. Beautiful royalty to look at it. And then there's Pepper. She's so ugly, she's beautiful. She's so strange and weird, she's ours. I mean, I just, people stop, what is that? Somebody thought it was a cat. No, it does not look like a cat, okay? I draw the line there. All right? Will Pepper be in heaven with us? I think God would say, you, I, I can't fix that. No, no. <laughs> Obviously, that's poor theology. Uh, no, folks, this is actually kind of an important question. What did we say earlier about heaven and hell? You are created with a soul. You are forever. Animals are not created with a soul. 
I know they love you, and I know you look deep into their eyes, and I know what we've all learned about animals from Disney World. And by the way, I say that jokingly, do you know who this is a question for? In over 2,000 years, this is only a question for Western 20th century Christians. Now, people around the world, this is not the big thing they're trying to figure out about heaven. Uh, that this is our mentality of animals that I think sometimes is a little skewed. But, but our animal, now, can God give you, can God give me back pepper? I, I mean, folks, obviously God do anything he wants. If I get this, I gotta want pepper. He'll give me pepper. I, I, I believe that. But no, I, I, my, my dog is not being resurrected and, and going to heaven because that's communicating something that is contrary to what scripture has communicated. I have a soul created in the image of God. My dogs don't. So, sorry. Will we pet tigers? Absolutely. It is the fall that created conflict between humanity and humanity, animal and animal, humanity and animals. Out of the fall, it's all, it's all good. We're, we're petting tigers again. Uh, another big question asked a variety of ways. What age will I be and do I age? Now, one of those I think is easier to answer than the other, and I don't know if I'm right about either because the Scripture says nothing to us about the age. I would not, I would not think we age, and the reason for that is because in this life, aging is directly connected to what? To death. I mean, you... You come out of the womb, you're on your way to dying. <laughs> Have a great week. Uh, I, mean, I mean, aging is dying. Some of us get a nice long ride, don't we? But still, a- aging is leading us to one place, death. And obviously, there's no death in heaven. Um, you know, what age will we be? You know, again, there's, there's nothing about this. There's a lot in writing about this. This is an interesting question for a lot of people. You can find this in books. There seems to be a lot of writing around the age of 30. As a matter of fact, let's just say 25 to 35. And there's two reasons for that. One, biologically speaking, DNA speaking, we kind of hit our, that's our zenith right there. The brain is at its full best, uh, Everything's firing like it should. We're at complete and total vitality and life in that, let's say, 28 years old. And then you turn 29. Everything's dying from that point on. You're losing cells as fast as you can go. You know, but they would say we kind of reach our perfection there. And so because that's the case, that must be God's idea of, of perfection in the body. I, I kind of find that a dumb connection. I, what? Okay. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but then that is also closely connected with the resurrection of Jesus. And he was how old? 33. So again, we're right into that. So we're going to be 30, 32, 33. That's how old we're going to be. So the idea would be if, if I died as a four-year-old, then I will be maturing up in heaven and will land there as a 33-year-old. If I'm 92, then I'm sliding, and the 92-year-olds are saying, praise God for this. You know, I'm sliding back. I'm sliding back to 33. I'll take that one all day long. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, hey, it's going to be a fun surprise when we get there, isn't it? You know, I've wondered, and this is mystical and weird, and I don't know, it doesn't answer the age of, that I am. But think about in this life. When, you know, when I look at my mom and dad, uh, I, I don't, I have so rarely thought about their age. I probably think about that a little more now when I look at them. I'm sorry, mom and dad, they're listening. I'm gonna have to explain this in a little bit. Um, but when I look at my parents, you know what I see? My parents. I mean, think about it, folks. So often when we're looking at somebody, what, who they are and what they are is right here, isn't it? We look, we look into their eyes. You know, I, I think of my two girls, grown up children, both so academically accomplished. And I, I look at them today and I see in their face the same two little girls I beat to death in Pretty Pretty Princess. You know, Karen always said, you're supposed to let them win. No, that's not life. When I play Pretty Pretty Princess, it's for real. 
no prisoners in this game. I will be the princess. Um, you know, I, I, I look at my boys now. Y'all know they're, they're military and the training they're getting and the part of the military they're in, they could hurt me very bad. But when I look at their face, obviously I see they're taller and stronger, but I, when I look right through here, the same two guys that sat on my lap. You know, and so, I, I, I don't know, maybe in some kind of weird way as we're walking through heaven, we experience people as we knew them. And, and age just is kind of irrelevant in there somewhere. So I don't know, do with that what you want. Okay, here's a question from Dinwiddie. And he said, how do you know it's from Dinwiddie? Because they, they, they say, since we're in the new city, can we still enjoy the country? Right? Because you Dinwiddie folks, you want to live in the country, Right? Am I right? I live out here for a reason. All right? And that makes a lot of sense. We're not all city folk, are we? Uh, and the answer is no. You have to live in the city. God's very metropolitan. Deal with it. Um, no, the, you know, by, by the way, I preached on this already. The, the, the wall has how many gates? Twelve gates, all made of a single pearl. Boy, that's good listening. Okay? So the, what are gates for? In and out. In and out. We're going to enjoy all of the new earth. And uh, I believe, and I think you'd have a harder time trying to say not so, I believe we'll be enjoying all of the universe. You know, would y'all remember this past spring? I, I, another one of these big rounds of pictures came back from one of the telescopes. I don't even remember what the name of the telescope was. And it's these phenomenal, amazing things. And it's, I don't even, like what, four trillion light years away? What do you think is that? And as amazing as this was, I'm a little ashamed to say this out loud. Do you know what my first thought was when I was watching that on the news and looked it up on the internet? I first thought was, God, that's a little bit of overkill. You know, I mean, really, at what point, okay, I get it, you're big. Okay, I get it, there's a lot of stuff way, 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 way out there. But then, you know, it dawned on me, and I wasn't even thinking about this series. Wait a minute, that's my workplace one day. That's my playground one day. Folks, think of the joy of taking in nature and knowing who put it there. I'm going to get to go throughout the universe and enjoy more than ever before the architect that God is, the artist that God is. I'm going to be able, you know, we don't we kind of, and the question wasn't asked, but sometimes we wonder, is it going to be boring in heaven? I mean, what do you do forever and ever and ever? You will never be able to stop exploring the depths of God's character and creation. You'll never get done. You'll ne- and he's given us evidence of it us now. He's, he's, he's helped us. He's given us the wisdom and knowledge to create these little toys. We shoot them up into the air and we can see trillions of light years away. I said, I did that. One day we'll get, we'll get to go see all that. All right. Will we work, eat, and sleep? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, law of continuity, we go back to Genesis 1 through 3. Did they work? God put Adam to work. That's hard for us to hear today. The whole purpose of working is to get to a place where you don't have to work. I work m- m- Monday through Friday so that I don't have to on Saturday and Sunday. I work a whole lifetime so that I can stop. And the earlier the better, right? That's because in this life, well, because of the fall, God put him to work in the garden. And because of the fall, God said, okay, now there's weeds. You see, the sin added to our work, sweat, conflict, tension. You know what sin added to our work? It means now that you and I can work a whole day. Y'all have probably never done this. I sure have. And find out it adds up to nothing. Work a whole day and then delete it. Ah, that's the wonder of computers today. <laughs> that, 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 that's not going to happen. Yes, we will work because we're created in the image of God and God doesn't just sit around and breathe. God lives purposeful, meaningful lives producing and we'll get to do that with joy. Will we eat? Yes, we will because they ate in Genesis 1 through 3. Now, big question, will we get to eat meat? You know, if I'm, if I'm just drawing from scripture alone and stopping, it would say, I don't see how because meat comes from animals. And you know, you, you can get some things from animals. Very difficult to get meat without killing them. And there's no death. So just by looking at that, I would say, no, can God create a steak if he wants to? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he can. You know, but, but I know this, you're going to be amazed at the buffet. You know what you have never tasted in this life? You have never tasted perfection. And you will taste it over and over and over in a 
endless variety of ways will you taste that perfection. So meat or no meat, I think it works out pretty good. Will we sleep? Uh, this is, I thought, this is a more important question to me than I thought it was going to be when I started to answer it. So first I went, I went to Genesis 1 there. Okay, where do we see sleep? And sure enough, when God created Eve, he put Adam into a, it says a deep sleep. So then I just asked myself the question, well, if there's a deep sleep, could there be a regular sleep? And then I thought, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's sleep about? Sleep is about rest. God created for six days and then he, he rested. See, you and I, because of a fallen world and a fallen body, we connect sleep with fatigue. We connect sleep with needing to heal. No, we're not going to be fatigued, exhausted, worn out in heaven. No, no, we're not going to need to heal in heaven. You know, one thing, and I think the American life is such a great illustration of this. You know, in the American life, you can never quit. You really can't. Your own soul won't let you. You've got to do a little bit more to get one more dollar. You've got to do a little bit more to get their approval. You've got to get a a little bit more to make them happy. You've got to do a little bit more so they think you're all that. We can never rest in who we are. In God, we can. In God, we can work and do what we never really are fully able to do. That's just stop and enjoy what's been done today. Enjoy and take in what I've been a part of. It's a blessing. God always calls sleep a blessing. In the rapture, uh, will children be left behind and what about animals? Now, the, a rapture question is not really a heaven question. They're actually separated by a lot of time. But I understand the, the question, a couple of them, the questions. They're basically asking, how are children and animals getting up to heaven, Ch- children who've not made a decision for the Lord. Well, I've already addressed animals. I believe God's going to have a whole new creation of, of animals, very similar to what we've experienced here, that'll be up there. So that answers that question. And then with children, you know, we're talking about a, a lot of different things here. We're talking about miscarriage. We're talking about abortion. And those are a part of it because those are, please hear this word, those are persons, I've actually heard a new debate, a new argument this week as this continues to be such a big thing in our culture. You know, to, for somebody to say that there's not life in the room is just so scientifically stupid. That, that is just such a denial of everything biologically we know. So the new question that's being debated is when does personhood start? Okay, sure, I'll acknowledge there's biology happening there. There's some form of life happening there, but but that's not yet a person. You know, the problem is, is any human being drawing the line? The safest place for you as a person for the line to be drawn is at conception. Anything you get past that you start taking on a role where you're determining who and what a life is, who and what a person is. So do I go to Scripture? Does Scripture help me here? I I, I love it when they say that nowhere in the Bible does it talk about abortion. Psalm 139, I'm pretty sure God is addressing that when he looks into the womb and said, that's my artwork. I put that there and refers to it as a person. Calls out in the womb the name of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Calls out by name the name of John the Baptist in Luke 1. Inside the womb. God not only sees a living being, he sees somebody with a name and he sees all the life that flows from them. So when we're answering this question, we're answering a question about miscarriages. We're answering a question about aborted babies. All of that. Those are persons in the eyes of God. Of course, now then what we more understand, that the child who dies, uh, some might add to this even the, the, the mentally handicapped into that discussion. How, how do they get up to heaven? I find the scripture strangely silent on this. There are a handful of passages 
that people will go to and say, look, like here, here, here's some kind of evidence. In my opinion, and it is an opinion, and I'm wrong. But in my opinion, those passages we tend to go to to say, look, there they are in heaven. I just think we're making those passages say much more than is being said there. That the person writing that didn't know that's what they were communicating. The people hearing that didn't know that's what the writer was communicating. So then I wonder, is that what God was communicating in and through that when nobody would have known in the context of what is being addressed there? Now, I said, I, just, I didn't just say the Bible is silent. I said it's strangely silent. Strangely means, hey, God, I think, feel like you should have answered this. This is not, hey, we got all kinds, I mean, how many times have I said today, we just don't know, it's not in the, in the Bible. But this isn't just a little thing. This is a big one. Now, my belief is, is God didn't forget. Okay, I, I can't believe that. I don't believe that about God. That he finished the Bible and, and the Bible communicates it has everything. That word is actually used. Everything I need for faith and life is found in the scriptures. So I can't look at this issue and get, God, God just must have forgot to deal with this. No, I'm confident God didn't forget to deal with this. So why doesn't he say, he doesn't say they're all in heaven. He doesn't say they're all in hell. He says nothing. Why? Now, again, this is my opinion. Because people are weird and stupid. And I believe with all my heart that if God spoke clearly to this, people would do weird and stupid things with that information. Can you rest in simply who God is? You know, nobody loves a child that's passed early or lived a full life. Nobody loves that child more than God does. Nobody has more desires for that child than God does. Now, am I saying, wink, 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 nod, nod, we all know they're really... I, I don't like preachers who speak definitively where God chose not to speak. So I'm not going to speak definitively where God chose not to speak. The safest place for your child is in your faith in who God is. Can you rest there? You know, the Bible promises me that my faith will not disappoint. Your trust in who and what God is will not lead you to a heaven where you are disappointed with what he did. I haven't lost a child, so I don't know the burden and the desire for that clarity. But I tell you, at the end of the day, folks, we're never actually trusting in an answer. We're trusting in the God who gives the answers. Rest in that. Can people commit suicide and go to heaven? Uh, And I think really a better way to have written that question would have been, can people commit sin and go to heaven? Because the answer is yes, right? Yeah, yeah, all sin can be forgiven. Now, we've got it in our mind because of a tradition outside of ours, a, a, a church teaching outside of ours that does teach that's an unforgivable sin. That tradition has teachings that does not draw on Scripture. They draw from other places. That's who they are. In our tradition, everything we believe comes from one place. At least that's our goal, right? It comes from the Bible. And the Bible does not say That's an unforgivable sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible does say there is an unforgivable sin. One. And it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? If you go to the context of that passage, it appears I am blaspheming the Spirit when I am rejecting, mocking, ignoring the Spirit's voice in my life, his witness in my life, to who Jesus is and my need for him. In other words, all sin is forgivable unless I reject the way all that sin is forgivable. Does that make sense? All sin can be forgiven except rejecting the way all sin is forgiven. As a matter of fact, another question like that 
uh, a person went into actually quite a bit of detail about somebody they love and care for very much. That that person they they believe to be a genuine believer, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details. But actually, in the midst of sin, that person died. So can they still go to heaven? So what we're asking, whether it's about suicide or dying, is can you can you go to heaven if you haven't confessed your sin? You you do realize you were never on the way to heaven because you confessed your sin. You've not confessed 5% of the sin you've committed in your life. And I'm being generous saying you've confessed 5%. It's amazing the volume of sin you and I don't even acknowledge that we're living out of God's will, in rebellion to God, not being, not doing the things he wants us to do in and with the people around us. We're not going to heaven because we confess. We confess so that we can get back to enjoying our relationship with God, a relationship bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. My entrance into heaven is not based on how good I'm confessing. It's based on my faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for me. Uh, What happens when we die? Uh, I'm going to get into this next week, but real quickly, because I think this is confusing and it gets jumbled when we're at funerals and gravesides. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Philippians 1.23, both very clearly communicate that the second you close your eyes in this world, you are gloriously opening them in the next world to the face of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the scripture concludes that. Ah, but then all of a sudden... We go to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 and following, and we start reading that, and there I am, being resurrected and meeting Jesus in the air and getting a new body, and that's an event way out there in the future. Well, wait a minute, which one is it? Am I there with him now, or am I being resurrected way out there? And the answer is yes, it's both. It's a little bit confusing. Again, we start talking about that intermediate body, that temporary body. We're still who we are. So yes, when we die, we're not a soul. And the Bible never shows, speaks of us being some kind of bodiless spirit. Nowhere is anything like that. And yet there we are in the afterlife right now with God, who who we are. And then out there we get this new body that's going to last forever and ever. Uh, again, Moses, Elijah, Samuel, Jesus, all evidence of this. Will we be able to have conversations with others in heaven? Yes, others in heaven gloriously. People you know now, people before you, people after you've got a whole eternity to grow closer and closer to people. You know, you and I, created in the image of God, is why we're relational beings. Because before God created the first person, before God created the first angel, God was a relational being. Inside the Holy Trinity. Being created in his image means we're relational. Did Jesus go to hell? Boy, this is a long one to take when we're trying to finish up. Uh, Yes, he did. Ephesians chapter 4, several other passages. Now, if by hell you mean the future lake of fire, no. Hell in the general sense, more specifically what we would call Hades today, yes, Jesus did go and experience the fullness of what it means to be separated from the Father. A theological concept, very difficult to sort and work through. Folks, the cross was the beginning of Jesus' suffering, not the entirety of his suffering. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just talking about the physical pain he's going through, but what's getting ready to happen is he says, into my hands I commit your spirit, my spirit, because he's going into Hades and he's going to experience the fullness. He is paying all of our penalty, not a part of it. He is experiencing all of what belongs to you and me, not not a piece of it. So yes, he did go and experience that. Will Satan be running hell? Will there be a hierarchy or structure in hell? I, I, you know, I would say yes, because that's what we see now. Ephesians 6, Romans 8, The book of Daniel use words for demons that are all hierarchical words. There is a structure there. Satan seems to be the top of it. I'm not shown or taught anything that that'll be different in hell. But I would say this, it's irrelevant. 
It doesn't mean anything who's running hell. It doesn't mean anything what's higher. Listen, the, the, the benefit of hierarchy, the, the benefit of a leader can, it, not always in this fallen world, right? But can be a good. There's provision. There's protection in all that. There is no experience of good. So it's mostly irrelevant who's running it and what, what's happening. Very important one. Will I remember my sin? You know, when that question is based, when you and I think of our sin now, whether it's the sin of this past week or the sin of 30 years ago, and we don't think of all of our sin, do we? No, we got a handful that make us feel really bad about ourselves. And so that's the question. Gosh, when I remember that I was that, that I did that, shame and guilt. So if I don't get a memory scrub and I remember my sin, you know, I didn't think heaven was, I was supposed to feel that shame and guilt. Oh, Folks, here's where your memory serves you. You know, again, what did we say earlier about enemies? In this life, I don't fully embrace God's love and forgiveness. I've trusted in it. It's what brought me here today to worship and celebrate with you. But I don't fully embrace. I want to, but I don't. His love and forgiveness. And that's why I still act sometimes like an unloved, unforgiven person. That's why I will sometimes treat people like I'm an unloved and unforgiven person. But do you know what? When I, when I get to heaven, I fully embrace that. And I will be able to remember those sins. And shame and guilt is not the experience. But awe and wonder in the love and power and grace and mercy of God will be the experience. The very memory of those will just blow wide open our worship. Amen. We, we don't want that. We don't want that uh, 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 race. In heaven, will we understand that it was worth it? I think I understood that question, right? You know, do I get there and go, well, this wasn't what I was hoping for. Um, Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Comparing. So in this life, living for Christ, I had a pound of suffering and, and doing without and sacrifice. But when I get to heaven, I have three pounds of glory. You get it? Heaven will be three times better, except that's not what it says. It says when you put all your suffering and, and sacrifice on the weight, the greatness of glory is immeasurable. You won't be able to say this is a hundred times more worth it. It's immeasurable how much more worth it is. Last question. There were several questions about judgment. Okay, when we get, and this is not actually for believers, okay, all unbelievers are resurrected at one time at the end and they go to the great white throne judgment. Believers do not go to the great white throne judgment. That's for unbelievers. That's for people who are going to say, look how well I tried to live. Look what a religious person I was. Look at the good I did. And it says, and God throws open the book of life. And it throws open the book of our works. What we're, basically what we're saying is, I want you to judge me on how well I lived. And remember, I've said you're in contact with about 5% of your sin and rebellion to God. Uh-huh. And so that is a judgment for unbelievers. Believers are judged when we are resurrected and raptured into heaven. That's our judgment. It is not a judgment for heaven and hell. Folks, heaven and hell was judged for you and me at the cross. Heaven and hell was judged for you and me when we took Jesus as our Savior and Lord. There is no more question about that. There's not a standing before God and let's work it out and see how this plays out. No, that's done. What happens now in my judgment is for reward. Very important passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 to 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 to 15. 11 begins by saying, we lay the foundation in Christ. Do you realize your life is utterly meaningless and worthless? It doesn't matter what you're accomplishing until Christ is your Savior and Lord. That's when your life begins. And then it says, you and I take that life and we build on that relationship with Christ. And then it goes into the fire. 
This is where some people think you can lose your salvation because we see the word fire in relationship with people. Folks, not every time the word fire is used is it in relation to hell. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 to 15 makes it very clear. Here is a person that goes into the fire, they come out of the fire, and they're still saved. Now, what happened in the fire? The life I built on Christ goes through what is called a refining and a purifying fire. So what burns away is, are you ready for this? All the good things I did for the wrong reasons. Now, come on, let's be honest. Us church folk, we've made an art form out of doing good things for wrong reasons. I do good things so you think certain things about me. I do good things so you pat me on the back. I do good things so I can feel good about myself. It's why good works don't save us. Then I go to before God and I say, look what a good and wonderful person I am without you. you No, no, I was doing it for God. No, you weren't. You were doing it so you wouldn't go to hell. That's a very self-centered, maybe a good reason, but it's a very self-centered reason. You were not doing it for love of God or glory of God. Also, all the bad things I did. So I don't know why I've always had in my mind, my life goes on one of those big pizza spatulas that goes in the oven. So my life goes on that spatula. It goes into the fire. We wait for the ding. It comes back out. And what's left is the basis of my reward. God is just. Just means fair. Just means he does what is right. Just means not everybody gets the same thing. Now, it is enough that you're in heaven. But there is rewards, I think rewards and responsibility that come to me, come to a person because how they've lived this life in faithfulness to Jesus. Now, no verse explains anything like that about hell, but I would assume the same. God is just. It's enough that you're there. But I do not think God judges every single person identically that everybody receives the identical punishment. Remember, it's enough that they're there. But justice would say it's, that's going to be meted out differently. So that's the judgment. So let me leave you with one verse as we try to process all these answers. And, and remember, folks, I've tried to connect it with Scripture, but I, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Your pastor is neither inerrant or infallible. And I, and I make mistakes, and I, I can miscommunicate. But here's, wh- whether I got it or not, whether you got it or not, we, we can leave with this today. 1 Corinthians 2.9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man ever imagined. That's what God has prepared for those who love him. Disappointment, discouragement, anger, disagreement... Is not going to be your experience on day one of entering heaven or any day thereafter. I've been super long. I'm sorry if you allow me to conclude with this. I want to go back to where we started about seeing people in hell or knowing people that we love are, are not with us. Uh, I feel very blessed, at least to my ability to understand my my parents, my spouse, my children, uh, the first of my grandchildren, uh, have a relationship with Christ. So I, I have a lot of confidence they're going to be there with me. I know some of you, when you ask a question like that, you're talking to those really close loves in life. I, I don't have a person like that, but I do have a really close friend um, that, his name's Chaz. Chaz and I were, were best friends throughout high school. We ran together uh, you know, when you run as far as we did, you got a lot of time to talk. So we're not just doing stuff, man. We, we share life. We share a lot with each other, especially our senior year. We were really super close. Uh, we, were, we were being recruited by the same, a lot of the same colleges. Uh, we went on several recruiting trips together. To this day, that's some of my funnest memories, going on those recruiting trips uh, with, with Chaz. And, uh, but we ended up, I signed with A&M. He signed with LSU. We were going our different ways. We had a lot of fun that summer leading up to going our, our different ways. And I, I remember the, the, the last night that we were together, I was spending the night at his house. And uh, I, I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in the gospel. I'm a believer in Jesus. And I knew, I, you know, I don't know where, 
I mean, you know what happens after high school. I haven't seen most of my high school friends ever again. And I knew, you know, I need to share the gospel with Chaz. And so that night we were, we were laying there and I, I said, hey, Chaz, I want to share something with you. And started walking through the, the gospel with my, I think I, I was nervous. I was scared to death, to be honest with you. Somebody I loved and cared about, somebody that's always loved and cared about me. And I was kind of scared about doing that. I, I, I did. I, I was going to say, I think I read a, a tract to him, but the, the lights were off. It was dark, so I couldn't have been reading. But anyway, I shared the gospel with him. And uh, he asked a couple of questions. And at the end of that, he said, uh, you know, I think that's something I, I want. And I think that's something I need. Um, but he goes, Randy, I, I'm going to college. And I, that, that's what I want to do right now. And I think every one of us knows what he means by that. He's not talking about education. You know, I, I want what the next couple of years is going to afford me and put in front of me, and I don't want, a, I don't want anything interrupting that. And, uh, you know, at the end of that conversation, I, I mean, I wasn't offended. He wasn't offended. I mean, it was a, it was a good moment for both of us. And so, uh, you know, the next day he moved, and, of course, I went on to school. Uh, that probably would have been the middle of August, probably the first of August. At the end of... Uh, October, his mom called me, and uh, you know, like I said, Chaz and I, we man, thousands of miles we had run together, and in Houston, most of those miles you're doing in traffic. Yeah, we weave in and out of cars. Uh, they'd flip us off. We'd flip them off back. <laughs> so, Chaz was out on a run. He got hit and killed by a car. You know, that's probably when, when I consider that question. It's not hypothetical for me. It's not as maybe close as some of the people you're, you're thinking of. But, you know, it is somebody I shared the gospel with. Not just a person I did stuff with. This is a, this is a person I shared my treasure and my hope with. You know, I don't know that that Chaz went to hell. Uh, my experience with the gospel, my experience in ministry, is that the Holy Spirit, a lot of times at the sharing of a gospel, that, that's, when, that's when the Holy Spirit's beginning. And that work will go on well beyond that conversation and even me being there is when the Holy Spirit does it. I don't know that a month later, he wasn't laying in bed one night thinking about that and asked Christ into his life. I sure pray so. I, I, I cannot imagine hearing that he died and not having shared the gospel with him. You know, I don't think we will, but just in that imagination, I, seeing somebody in hell, most of us, not all of us, most of us in here are, have placed our faith and trust in the gospel. We're carriers of the gospel message. And maybe the reason God doesn't speak clearly on how we deal with that, maybe he's saying to us, you know, I don't, I don't want you thinking about how I'm going to deal with that in your heart and life. Then I want you thinking and acting on it now. The time for the gospel is now. Heaven is incredibly real. Hell is incredibly real. The human soul is incredibly real. And they are forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you communicate clearly. Thank you for the information you give us that helps us imagine and speculate. Lord, as we've kind of said all throughout this, I I pray that it guides the decisions I'm making this week, how I respond, how I don't respond, what's important, what's, what's not important. Oh God, there will be a day we step into these places and we realize how utterly insignificant so much of what we lived for was. And yet amazingly, in you and with you and for your glory, everything we do can be significant. 
God do in all this in our heart what is to be done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.